Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. That Davis show, our first time, me and Ryan Bukovetsky going live here on StreamYard as we try to perfect this platform enough to come to our viewership and to give you something that's quality, to say the least. Um, not a lot of jovialness in this one coming to you. It's definitely about uh, Tony Russo. My name is Kenneth Davis. Follow me at That's Davis. I'm the host of That Davis Show. You know my executive producer. His name is Ryan Bukovetsky. Follow him at Ryan B. Ski and Ryan B. Ski 1 on uh, Instagram. So listen. Wait, we, should we be wearing all black for uh, the universal <laughs> session? That's about to happen. No, no, we, we're going to try to look at this in a balanced in a balanced manner, um, but also full of emotions. All right. So, if you don't know, and I'm sure you all know by now, uh, the Chicago White Sox have went into the wayback machine and rehired former manager Tony Larusa. Um, Tony Larusa hasn't coached since 2011. It's been nine years. Uh, he ran the. Um, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, he also was a part of uh, the Boston's front office and advisor. And the Angels. I was going to get to that, right? And then the last team was the, the advisor for the Angels uh, this past season, at least. It was definitely a question asking him about uh, how Joe Madden handles social justice, and we'll get to that. So I, I want to talk about how I feel initially. Um, this was not a good moment, um, especially when it just comes to now, outside of baseball, to a certain degree, because uh, I do think there are some people that are closer to baseball recently that may be better. Let's take nothing away from the greatness of Tony LaRusso as a manager. All right, Tony LaRusso has the third most wins um, as far as active, not active, but formerly active managers. If you had your pick, he would probably be someone that you would choose. Um, but I, I just have the feeling of the check in the room and the tenor in the room and uh, going back to you know some of the things, it was funny. I was sitting there watching this initially on uh, NBA, I mean MLB uh, dot com, not dot com, the MLB Network, and they had MLB Now on. And after the initial questions, and they went back uh, to the host, they reacted with, "What's going on? Why are they asking them these questions first? And those questions were basically about you know his age and getting a job and social justice, and also about necessarily uh, how he would react with the Sox players' bat flips and enthusiasm, and it, it quote unquote would he feel that it's disrespecting the game? And looking at the MLB now, I was like, man, you guys really don't know. And uh, one of the guys was like, yeah, I'm looking at social media in Chicago. People are happy. And it, 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 it's twofold right there. Because one, of course, we're in Chicago. You, you don't know. And you hear Tony Russo and they're like, people should be ecstatic. But also it still goes to kind of what Tony Russo in the incident in 2016 as far as what happened with him talking about Cap Neely and about, you know, don't disrespect the flag and don't disrespect. And, you know, I hope by all by now most people have progressed from then. But there's a lot of privilege in the fact that you weren't progressive enough back then. Like that's I think that's the thing that we we really be we really get on of people of color in this situation, because you look at my face, I have to be understanding to a lot of people. 
in this place. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're in the back of the room, you have to look and see how everyone else is moving because it's rarely that you get a chance to be the person in front of the room. So you have to learn to to acclimate to different situations where the person in the front of the room is leading by charge and he's not really worried about acclimation. You just better get in where you fit in. And that's kind of how that felt listening to those gentlemen talk about that. Um, I think it's a good hire from the point of baseball to a certain degree, even though he's been out of baseball forever. All right. So I don't want to make it seem like this is one of those things where it's just like, this is the worst. It's the worst because how I feel that what's going on right now in the world, my owner or the owner of the team that I root for, he's not my owner. He's the owner of the team that I root for didn't care. And that's the, and that's the thing that really just jumps out to us. His, his friendship with his, his partner, um, meant more than worrying about the fact that you have this team with, with I, I, listen, I'll throw Tim Anderson in with this. You have, the, and I know he's not Afro-Latina, but you have this Afro-Latina team basically when it comes to everyday players, right? And it's funny even with that because I think about, you know, especially with when you look at um, Yoan Mankata, uh, not as much with uh, with Jose Abreu because I feel like Jose Abreu has uh, acclimated himself enough to where he's not necessarily fearful to step out on issues, but I look at someone like Yoan Makata and think about the fact that there may be some apprehension about showing uh, how he feels about social injustice because he feels like uh, he's a guest here in this country. And because I, I, I try to, that's another thing. I try to think about how other people are going through stuff, you know, so a part of you, and I don't know how Yoan Makata feels. Let me just let that say that. But I know you may feel like I come to the land of milk and honey. I'm rich. I don't want to disrespect anything here. And I, I understand that. Um, but when you look at the team and, and you look at the city and you look at what's going on and you didn't even slow down with it. Like we, it's just to think, Ryan, there were times that we felt here that Davis show, Kim Davis, Robert Vesey. There were times that we felt here that maybe, you know, hopefully I should say, hopefully the Tony Russo thing is a smoke screen because perhaps with AJ Hinch, Alex Cora, you know, they don't want to go straight to someone who's quote unquote a cheater, even though, Tony Russo has been involved with some of the best steroid users ever in the MLB. All right. And I'm, I'm not just trying to take a shot. I mean, we, we know basically steroid use really, and, and this comes from working out and bodybuilding started on the West coast. All right. And we know what happened with the bash brothers and then taking that with Mark McGuire to, to St. Louis. And I'm not using that as a reason to keep uh, Tony Russo out of his job. I'm partially using it as a reason why some people was bashing AJ Hinch. I don't put what A.J. Hinch did on the same level as steroids. I'd probably say A.J. Hinch is probably here. Steroids is probably there, especially since he was the manager. And as a manager, it's hard to necessarily stop your players from using steroids. What are you going to do, snatch the needle out their butt? I'm just I'm being facetious, but I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to look at it from both sides. Because hopefully, if you follow this show from when it was the Dean Davis show to that Davis show, that's one of the things that we always try to do. And I try to just look through, the, through one lens. But in that, I want you to look through my lens or, or people of color's lens in this situation. I was listening, lucky enough, this news broke today uh, during, during the Lawrence Holmes show and uh, Jason Goff called in and I didn't know Lawrence had moved. I know Lawrence had talked about moving uh, in one of our last discussions. Um, I didn't know Lawrence had moved and Lawrence was talking about being in the vicinity physically. He's closer in the vicinity to guaranteed rate and Jason lives that in that way. And I don't know where any of these gentlemen lives now. I knew where Lawrence lived before and that's not important. Um, but still, he, he expressed, both of them expressed something poignantly about being closer to the team physically, but feeling a lot more distance from this hire. 
And I think that's the thing that we want people to, to pay attention to. Like in talking to social media with a lot of people today, um, like some cats just didn't get how I was feeling. And it was, I'm like, it's deeper than that. Cause they're like, well, you, you're going to win the world series. Probably. And again, you don't know if you're going to win a world series. That has, this has nothing to do with Tony LaRusso managing. It's just the difficulty in baseball to get to and win a world series. So let me start with that. It's not a given. With the talent that's on this team, it gives you a better chance. Bringing in the third uh, winningest manager in MLB history, and we know how long the MLB has run around, it definitely increases that chance. Uh, Managerial-wise, it's not a bad decision. I still would have probably had A.J. Hinch over him just just for me personally. I I would have because I feel like in some ways he's Tony La Russa with analytics and I know we don't really know because we don't know how much of the, the cheating uh, that he did. But that that's just one of the things that stood out. I thought about what Jerry Reinsdorf is telling me. And Jerry Reinsdorf, I thought about the song. and I, I think I told you this in the past, Ryan, uh, when you had the Trayvon Martin case, right? And I know people feel like, damn, Ken, this is heavy as hell. How are you going to Trayvon Martin? Just follow me. All right. Because um, they're not the same thing. This is an apples and apples comparison. That Trayvon Martin was a, a, an atrocity. But I felt like after George Zimmerman was was let go, I remember walking to work downtown and I was playing Worst by Drake. And uh, the re- and I was thinking, I was listening to this song last week, and maybe my favorite Drake song, at least, is in my top three. But I, I loved the line, motherfuckers never loved us in that song, right? Because that's how I feel Jerry Rinesdorf said to me today, right? Like, yeah, you've been down here, whatever, but motherfucker, I don't love you, Right. Uh, this is basically my ball and I'll play with it the way that I fucking feel with it. And regardless of your emotions, because before today, Tony Russo never addressed the fact of social justice and also the discussion of sincerity. And I, I love the fact that, and let me make sure that I, I definitely, Tim Brown uh, asked Tony Russo, who, who, who is he and what privileges does he have to necessarily decide when someone is being sincere or not? And Tony Russo addressed that by saying, you know, I take sincerity by your regular actions. So listen, and, and, and what you do to do the follow up. And I'm not negating that. I would want people to follow up with their react when they're sitting there protesting or talking about social injustice. See, part of the problem with that is this. What if what you know, if I'm LeBron James and I didn't do the, the voting movement, which he did and you should do. And I'm saying anybody shouldn't do something to back up what they're saying. But if because of my platform, I'm just highlighting what's going on. How can you diss me for doing that and say, well, you know what? He showed us what's going on, but you know what? It really doesn't matter because what did he do behind it? Because that person with that platform may sit there and shine a light on something that a lot of other people didn't pay attention to. So how, like, how do you dictate someone's sincerity? So that to me, and also, when did you come to realize you were wrong? Like he, there was no Drew Brees moment here. You know what I'm saying? Where it was like, you know what? This is why I feel like I was wrong in this. First of all, all of us love first responders. Like, let's stop. Let's stop acting. All of us have family members have been in the military. So let's stop acting like we all, yeah, we just hate them. People that are opposed to uh, being disenfranchised and being beat upon or killed. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, that means we just hate you. No, that doesn't necessarily mean that, but we can highlight you're not doing your, you're clearly not doing your job successfully. But yeah, Jerry Ronsoff to me told me uh, basically, kid, I don't give a hell what you say. I'm going to play with my ball the way I play. And listen, that's his right to do it. Uh, it's good that he did it because it puts things in a better perspective. Um, watching the presser, it did help somewhat. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it eased, it didn't, 
it didn't ease my concerns, but it, it it was it brought me down from the as much anger as I was experiencing because Sox is, have increased their chances to win. But I don't love this team as much as I love this team yesterday. And um that hurts. Cause Sox have sucked a lot. You know what I'm saying? And baseball, and I said this this year, baseball as a fan pulls the most out of you because of the amount of time you have to spend with it. I love the top three sports. All right. And I have, I have some love for hockey, but baseball, basketball, football are definitely my jams. All right. But out of those three, the amount of time you have to spend with baseball, it is something about it. It, it angers me more when something goes on because I've dedicated so much time to it. And to sit there and dedicate this time this season and how this season felt. Think about that, Sox fans. We we were sitting there. I had on Herb Lawrence, executive producer for the Lawrence Home Show. Uh, and Herb was sitting there pointing out, and his point was valid, that Ricky is a low-hanging fruit because that's what people usually go to when their things go wrong. And I told him, I'm not the Ricky basher, but Rick, basically Ricky had to go. And those bashings at that point were were correct. But at that point, most people didn't even think. You can look at Paul Sullivan in the Tribune. Most people didn't think Ricky Renteria was going to be fired. When you see Rick Hahn taking these steps, right, that modern, effective teams actually do, and he, he, you get to the point, Theo Epstein, let's, let's just use the Cubs. You get to the, to, to the Theo point with Ricky Renteria, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, he's cool and all. But you know what? I'm going to rock with so-and-so because they're better. You know what I'm saying? He's cool, but yo, he's better. When you get to that point, you make that decision business-wise because it's going to be better for the organization. And we always look at the Sox and loyalty because of Jerry. And it was basically people were going off of the track record of Jerry. That, you know, that's not what Jerry does. Jerry's going to stick with the person. Jerry doesn't want to pay to have a, a manager sitting out, so on and so forth. When you see the next day or the, the, the day after or two, that, that Rick Hahn expresses the feeling that we have as Sox fans, like, no, we're ahead of schedule. This gentleman who did a lot for us, our organization is getting his coach right. Give Rick Renteria his props for getting the culture right. This gentleman did all this to get our culture right, right? I'm going to let him go, and as he should have. I'm going to let him go. And now the world is open to us. Finally, we're running this like a first-rate organization. All our, our, our stars have basically signed up for the future, outside of maybe uh, Lucas Giolito. As far as guys right now that's proven, proven, all our guys are basically locked up. You know, you bring in Dallas Keuchel, you bring in uh, Yasmani Grinnell, um, like you're just looking like a team, you know what I'm saying, where it's like, man, we on the cusp. Now all we need is that guy that brings old school and new school together, right? And I understand some people's apprehension about A.J. Hiss for cheating. But if you dislike A.J. Hiss for cheating, and that's just something to do with baseball, then hopefully you can kind of feel my feelings on somebody that's talking about that someone that looks like me doesn't have the right to point out that people are harming us, that we pay to protect us. All right. And I know people are like, well, why are you bringing it up? Because it's important to me. That's why I'm bringing it up because it bothers me. It bothers me to the point where he, he didn't have to address this situation till today where we knew at least after, and it's, it's sad that after George Floyd, that now people had to come up and make their Mia Copas a Jerry Jones, quote unquote, who still hasn't, but he still hadn't addressed it. But you, uh, t- today you addressed it, but it also depends on someone's sincerity. Shouldn't be the judge of someone's sincerity. I, I have, if, if I have a Bosnian friend, he's telling me something to go on with Bosnia. 
It's not my business to address his sincerity. It's my business to take in the information that he's telling me about, analyze it, uh, probably believe him for saying if he's my friend, I'm going to take it, and also see if there's anything as an ally that I can do to move it forward. And this is just common things when you can, especially when you see terrible things happen to people with regularity. So that that that's that's the thing. I want to stick with Rick Hahn. This is disrespectful to Rick Hahn. And as Rick Hahn told you, and, and I believe it was a good one from James Fegan from The Athletic. He asked him, you know, according basically to what you basically according to what you said, and I'm paraphrasing it, this wasn't the guy you're going to go for. He asked him about being too insular. Of course, Rakan was like, he's been called so long for it to be insular. But j- just everything that you said, this doesn't necessarily want the guy. And Rakan pointed out things change quickly. So basically, Jerry told them, y'all going to have to go and interview him. And this is going to basically be the guy. If he says he wants the job, he wants the job. He also pointed out that they didn't interview anybody else because Rick Hahn being a decent cat, he didn't want to sit there and and, and interview someone who's not going to get the job because once Jerry had made the call, the call had already been made. Um, So when you, when Rick Hahn is proven to us, and that's like the real thing, Rick Hahn has proven to us that what, he's top six at least in the MLB? Like, he's somewhere in that area now, I, be, I believe, right? That he's somewhere as far as running the organization and being a general manager. He's getting to elite level, but he's he's damn sure really good. And he's an asset. And you sit there and kneecap this asset by not letting him finish what he started. Like, why didn't you let Rick Hahn finish what he started? Like, do we, we trusted in this... And then you come and kneecap us and not let the guy who's leading this movement fulfill what he began to take us to another place. I, I see people saying that Rick Hahn should just leave. I don't think Rick Hahn's going to leave because he wants to see his baby make it all the way to the end because this is still his baby. You know, and also someone has to protect the baby. You know what I'm saying? When you got Tony in here with the bat line straight to the to the to the ownership, like we sit here, Ryan, and you know, we get on Jerry Jones all the time because Whoever the Dallas Cowboys coach is, it doesn't matter when players can call Jerry directly. You know what I'm saying? Like they're like anybody that works in anything, there's a cutoff point with the higher up between you and the, the person between you and that person for a reason. Uh, not to say you can't go to them, but if you can sit there and easily like if I if I know the owner and I work for somebody and Ryan, you're my supervisor. Right. And you're talking about what Damn time straight. You're right. <laughs> you talk about what time I get to work. And I'm basically like, you know, forget, fuck what you're talking about. You know, and I go talk to the owner and he comes to you and be like, you know, it doesn't don't necessarily worry about it. You're going to feel a certain kind of way because you're holding other people to that standard. But you can't hold me to that standard. So now and it, I'm also flip that later on and tell you positives in, in some ways when it comes to that, even though I'm not going to say that those positives outweigh the negatives, because I do think that that's definitely a, a, a negative. But Rick, I pointed out that this was uh, Larissa was well, he, well, Larissa was pointed out that he was surprised by the call. Again, Jerry wanted to reunite the old team uh, from the deathbed. And I hate to say that because that's that's just foul to say something about that. I don't want Jerry Ryan to die. I'm not the type of human being. Um, but still, when you want to do something, and I hate when people use the expression, paying back for firing them. Listen, I got some nice ex-girlfriends. And, you know, if I hit the lotto, I'll definitely send them some dollars. But that doesn't mean I want to go back and reconsummate those old relationships. You know what I'm saying? Like, Does you, uh, Rick Hahn need an assistant GM, Hawk Harrelson or someone to come out? For well, I mean, but see, that's on Jerry for letting Hawk be the GM in the first place. Like that, that, that whole thing was ridiculous. Like, see, this is the thing. So Jerry, we're all paying for it because you didn't recognize uh, Tony LaRusso's talent back in the days like that. 
I should have to pay for that. You know what I'm saying? That's on you. If you listen, if you want to sit there and play, play kissy face with this dude, do that. Just don't involve my team when you or your team, because it's not you proven again that it's not the fans is not our team. This is your team, sir, uh, because you didn't listen to anything majority of us said, even people that didn't have a real problem with Tony or the problems that I've said and some other people have said, but still he wasn't at the top of their list. You didn't listen to, to any of that whatsoever. You wanted to do something that felt good to you. And I mean, it's, it is what it is. He talked about um, uh, players bat flips. And of course this goes to Tim Anderson. It was a question I believe by Vinny Dubar uh, from uh, NBC Chicago. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, I'm just saying that it's just, it's crazy to be in this situation because we've been happy. And I know Tony came in on our text chain yesterday and we all knew it was a done dilly. But he was like, man, it's a done dilly. So today I'm looking at everything and I see when it hits and it's like, he's the manager. Even though we knew he was the manager, he's the manager. And I felt like shit, you know what I'm saying? Because one, and I I, I want to say my team didn't notice how I was going to feel, but they knew how I was going to feel about this. They did this face. They knew I was going to feel about this. They didn't care. They And listen, I guess, quote unquote, I'll say this, it still will be wrong. If you prioritize winning over my feelings, somewhat cool, to a certain degree, you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't feel I don't feel it's cool, but it's somewhat cool to a certain degree. Do I believe Tony Russo can win a, a World Series title as the manager of the White Sox? Yes, he's Tony Russo. Even if he's been out of baseball this long, yes. Would he have been my candidate? No. Are there underlying issues that 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 also bring it to make me angry? Yes. I brought up what he said about Colin Kaepernick. The fact that he w- wasn't necessarily close to analytics. Um, still, they, the question was asked. Um, let me make sure if I can see who uh, I can't. I don't know if I can see who asked him. The question was asked: Would he necessarily? No, you know what? Dion Miller, friend of the show, I believe it was Dion. Uh, no, it wasn't Dion. Made him in vegan. I can't remember. Let me stop. I can't remember. The question was asked: If you were in the same situation as Kevin Cash, would you do it? And that's one of these um, because if you look at it, and I mean, we all know in the World Series that Kevin Cash shouldn't have pulled Snell out, right? Uh, especially when you look at the numbers that dramatically when Snell went around the third time that I believe like by fourfold his ERA increased, if not even more by that. Right. And basically Tony Russo was like, you got to pay attention to what's going on in the game, which anybody in the situation will basically say that, but still it goes back to the Rick Hahn situations. The front off front office is telling you, Hey, I need you to, you should probably use this guy, this guy, this reliever, this reliever. And you're basically like, screw that. And there's no, there's, there's no one to hold you to it because all you got to do is call Jerry and shoot the shit. Man, Jerry, you know how you say like, and I know you think I'm joking, but I'm, I'm being serious. And this is something that Ryan and I have talked about for weeks when Tony Russo first came up was the fact that you're messing up with Rick Hahn. Why, why would you, with everything that Rick Hahn has done, why would you sit there and, and just play him the way that you've played him? And I mean, so those are the things, the social justice thing and the Rick Hahn thing, then probably followed by, um, no, then followed by the players on the team and, and, and their free spirit, but also um, being a team that's 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 African to a certain degree. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying, you got Tim Anderson, this is one cat, but you got a lot of Afro-Latinos on this team and, and bringing in this, this, this older gentleman. And that's not to say that older people can't acclimate and learn and change, but where was this learning and changing before this lovely job came out? Because that's, and I want to get on that. <sighs> Tony Russo said that Jerry Russell could have hired him in the past. Correct. He said this in his, in, during the presser. When was this between yeah, 0- 2012? 
You know, yeah, between well, wait, between Oakland, right, and going to St. Louis, right. When were you going to hire him? When, when, when were you going? And when were you going to leave St. Louis, that organization, for the Sox? And I know a Sox. Didn't he win a World Series right before he ended too? Yeah, he, he ended it and took it to, to win a World Series. He won two there, right? So, like, what what are you? How are you saying? But then this goes to Jerry, and it, this I want Sox fans to really think about this, right? Jerry Reinsdorf sat here and played us for years. Never let this organization set up right. Had these one-dimensional players, a guy that can slug softball-wise, a guy he can run fast, but this guy can't hit for anything. This guy has a nice glove. But when we finally get four, it's not all, but four-dimensional players, maybe five-tool, a five-tool guy here or there, you go out and get your old friend and give him this job. When you could have given him shitty teams all in the past, so you shit it on us and let us have all these bad teams for as long as you let us have all these bad teams when you could have done something. And finally now in the, in the, 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 the moonlight of your life and you say, and you have this, the, the greatest talented White Sox team outside of the team that the, the, the strike was called. I and mean, this is maybe even more talented than that. Outside the team in the 94 when Jerry was in charge basically and had the strike. You, you had this wonderful team. And then you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hook my motherfucking friend up with it. We're going to go out together with this one. It's disrespectful to all of us. Dog, we sat here for five years with 100 lost seasons, right? All you had to do was stick to the script so we all can be happy. But because of you and what you want, you couldn't sit there and just put in someone that for the most part, we will all be commiserate with that person getting this damn job. And again, I think the White Sox, I definitely have a chance to win a World Series with Tony Russo as the manager. I just don't want to feel like this. It's It feels like the Bears right now, where outside of the last game, the Bears win, but there's no relaxation in these games. Like There's no joy in it while you're watching it and taking place. There was joy, even with what happened with the White Sox the month of September and then losing to the A's. The day I think most White Sox fans, the day after losing to the A's, were happy again because we knew what we had. Then it was compounded because of what the White Sox lost to the A's on what, a Thursday or Friday, I believe. And then that Monday, Ricky's fire. And it was like, whoa, yes, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I was already happy because of how the year is moving, but I'm thinking we're going to do the lazy thing and keep a guy just for the sake of keeping him. But Rick Hahn is going to step up and realize, no, nah, we got it. We got it. We have to, we have to grab a hold and a gold nap while we have the chance. And it, it just juiced you. It, 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 it just made you feel good. And now to get the new hire and it feels like a fucking kick in the gut. Like part of me doesn't even want to watch it. Right. I know I am. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm still going to root for this team. But it's the worst. It's one of the worst feelings for a team that you think helped themselves today. They did they help themselves today? Yes, they helped themselves because you have one of the greatest managers has ever been a manager in MLB. That's that's the truth of the matter. I can't take anything away from that. Uh, just because I I don't like uh, aspects of his his character, I have to still admit and own up to the work that he's done, the hard work that he's put in. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny that. Can this gentleman get the socks over the threshold? Probably perhaps, even though we still have to see what's time away from the game and how the change of the game, how he acclimates himself to that. It's not just a given. Um, and also we don't even know how this team is going to take to him and how he's going to take to this team. Um, I still believe in Rick Hahn. You know what I'm saying? I, that's like the Rick Hahn is the parent that stays in the house when we all getting our ass beat and should leave, but it's like, if I leave, these kids gonna die. 
I mean, if just, just, that's how I feel. Like, because if I was him, I'd be tempted to go because you know there's job offers that are going to be coming at him. I'd be tempted to go because when is this really mine? And I've proven myself. And for, for the next few years, at least, he's in some ways answering to, to, uh, to, to Tony LaRusa. Just be, be cognizant of that. He's answering to Tony LaRusa uh, in some way or another. And Rick Hahn has done a well, too well of a job for me to feel like he has to do that. Now, if this was Tony Roos, if this was if this was 2013, 2015, let me even say that. This is 2015, and Tony Roos was like, I'm coming to help y'all. I'd be like, man, Rick Hahn, you just got to listen to what this man is telling you to do. But I feel like Rick Hahn has proven that he's someone that we can trust as Sox fans and that's someone that we can believe in, especially when he's let alone uh, to his own faculties just to go about his business. But uh, that's really, I think, the heart of um, what I want to get to. Uh, I definitely want to do it today. Um, I don't have the same angst that I had earlier on. I'd be lying if I said that some of it didn't calm down during the presser. Um, some of the questions was, I mean, some of the questions he didn't ask the way that I want to ask. Because Listen, I'll tell you this. I don't know shit about Tony LaRusso's sincerity since he's the, the judgment man on sincerity. Because if you were sincere, you should have made these Mia Copas before getting a job. All right. That's sincerity. That sincerity is when the light isn't even on you. And even though if you point out you were wrong, people be like, why did you bring it up? Nobody was even talking about you. That's sincerity, Tony LaRusso. So be sincere yourself and step out there and before you get this job to say, you know what, I was wrong. And it wouldn't even been as hard because the temperature in the room had changed. Plenty of people now can come out and say they were wrong, but you didn't even do that until you got this job today. So that bothers me. And I have no problem with telling you that it bothers me. If you don't feel like it's important, all right, this is you not feeling that's important. That's, what does that say about you? But that brought a lot of angst to this hire. And I, I wanted to express that because people were like, why, why are you, what's going on? And I'm not dissing y'all for asking, but sometimes, you know, I like to play I didn't even want to play today about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's, I didn't. I didn't want to go back and forth with people um, or some clever shit because it wasn't about clever shit. Just because, like, listen, I don't even want to change my social media avatar because as soon as I change it, I'm going to have to put that motherfucker back to black. That's it. That's, that's really the gist of... Did you get it out? Nah, but uh, we'll do. We get some more out later on. We we'll get some guests to come on and talk about this. But Ryan, I have to find out what, what were your thoughts of the hire and how did you feel? Listen, it's so early, Doc. But dude, it's it's four fifty four. I don't drink. I don't drink whiskey this early. Oh, a special occasion, right? Uh, it's for the pain. Yeah, that's that's usually what it's good for. Um, I don't know. I, like you said, I don't think this hurts any World Series chances. I mean, first of all, if you're a fan that really cares about the manager, you have to decide how much managers even mean. Because I was listening to the Lawrence Holmes show, and Herbie, I thought, made a great point. Uh, if you're not a manager person, Sox probably are going to do what they're going to do in 2021 with or without him for the most part. Now, that doesn't mean that the manager is completely useless. They really matter when it comes to bullpen substitutions, in-game kind of things. And Tony Russo is as good as anybody doing that stuff. So I, I don't think you necessarily worry there. I think the things, like you pointed out, how is he going to handle the clubhouse? Because Ricky built a great clubhouse there. And are stupid things like bat flips going to become a problem and kind of change the energy and makeup of the team? And you definitely don't want that. And just, you know, it's been nine years. That is a long time. Does he kind of 
I don't know, have some values or baseball kind of thoughts as a manager that he's not going to change on, and the game has changed in that perspective. But I can't imagine it's something so dramatic where all of a sudden it's like Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys, like you referenced, where it's a train wreck. Like they're not even going to come close to the playoffs because it doesn't yeah, even look right time. regardless. Yeah, and he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, even with all the uh, injuries, like it just doesn't look right, period. Like, yes, you can't, can't win with that many guys down. But I think t- – I think it's just strange. The one thing is just not talking to anybody else. But like you pointed out, if Jerry's just like, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. Well, Why waste other people's yeah. time? Well, who are you going to talk to? What, what is, what's there going to be? And then you just wonder what kind of rift there is with Kenny and Rick. You know, I can't imagine either of those guys are necessarily pounding the desk for Tony La Russa. If anything, they're pounding it the other way. saying, Why do we have to have Tony La Russa? And you just wonder, it does that maybe do we look back on this in a few years and say, man, hiring Tony La Russa really caused a rift that we didn't need as the White Sox organization or as a White Sox fan. But that's probably not going to happen. That's that just just to be fair, I guess, on all things, the positive and the negative. But overall, I'm kind of like you. The more I thought about Tony La Russa ever since it was rumored, I don't necessarily think it's a bad hire baseball wise but i i don't like to hire for them I, especially like we talked about you got aj hinch there but the guy just seems like a superstar manager but maybe jerry you know mr old baseball mr romantic about baseball maybe it just drove him insane the idea of having aj hinch the cheater be on his team or something like that you know what um shout out to the bigs terrace tomlin or posted you know what? Jerry brought this in because he probably doesn't like the guy celebrating and stuff like that and wants somebody to tamper it down. Um, let's not forget Jerry's the guy that until Dallas Keiko got there, you couldn't have a beard, right? Like, and you saw how many bros had beards out there. So think about it. these guys. Jose Bray, you think Jose Bray's been wanting to rock a beard but couldn't. And he's been here while they've been suffering. Dallas Keiko pop up and was like, dude, I got a beard. And Jerry's like, do your thing then. Like, just think about, like, if you're an already employee, look at kind of, and it's not apples to apples. Look at the Clippers, right? Because the guys that are on the Clippers didn't deserve to be treated like Kawhi. And, well, Kawhi, I won't say Paul George. Well, Kawhi, but you saw how they had, they felt a certain kind of way about the treatment that he received. You know what I'm saying? And it, it's, it's, it's similar to that is kind of what I'm saying to where, you know, you're going to kind of feel a certain kind of way about the type of treatment this, this guy's getting. There are some pros. I'll say this pro. Jerry's going to want to prove that he's right. All right. So I think there's more incentive for him, especially with the pandemic, perhaps closing it in the purse strings to spend a tad bit more. Uh, Tony's going to tell him what he needs. Something like Tony Russo's trying to, he's not doing this shit to fucking come here and just sit in the twilight years. He's not trying to pull a Lupinella. Right. And I mean, it's that time the Cubs were actually trying to spend Jim Hendry was actually try, trying to spend, oh, spend some money, uh, even though he wasn't spending it properly because, you know, you look at the Alfonso deal. It wasn't necessarily a good deal. You, he wasn't going to be selling bases like that anymore. Sorry, I know. Um, but still, you, you're in a situation where Jerry's probably going to give more. He's going to spend more for Tony Russo than he would for A.J. Hinch. He's going to spend more for Tony Russo than he would for probably Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams. You know what I'm saying? Because that's his buddy. 
and he wants to prove that this decision was right. So that'll be something good. But I, I, I'll say this um, as a Sox fan, it, whatever positive happens, it won't be as joyous as this decision wasn't made. And that's the thing. I think that's what we're really trying to say. Like you took some of the genuine affinity that we had for what was taking place out of it. And you instead injected in a way politics into it that didn't, we didn't need. I'd rather be talking about a dude cheating, right? And both of these guys are cheaters. I said that before. Him with super steroids from Oakland all the way to, 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 to the, 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 the birds on the bat, all right? Him with that, with, with cheating and bringing the cheater all the way back there from two St. Louis, talking about Mark McGuire, all right? He, so he's a cheater too. Let's be, let's be clear, all right? Tony Russo is smart enough, and we all know, to see that guys grew to be Hulk, Hulk-like size, right, in the offseason or two. Not to say they didn't put in work, because if you're not putting in work, you're really not using steroids right anyway, all right? If you're Jason Giambi in it, you're not going to get the type of effects, especially long-lasting, that you want, all right? But still, um, I'd rather be sitting here talking about A.J. Hinch and what he did than reliving everything that's been happening the last seven months. You know what I'm saying? That's what... That's what I felt like Jerry Ronsoff was like, you know what? Yeah, but we're going to get over it. And it's like, we have to do that. And it's like, so it also just goes to show like how much, how, what do you really feel? You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's privileged from this. And I, I really hate keeping beating this drum. It's privileged because you don't have to deal with it every day. You know, like you don't have, you don't have these worries. So you can care today for the next two weeks. It's on the back burner. And don't think I wake up thinking about being black. Like, oh, man, I got to go through it. I'd rather not think about it. All right. Until it's shoved in my fucking face. Right. I'd rather be oblivious to it. Right. And I'd rather be with my head in the clouds. But it's persistent. So it's, it's a privilege when it's not persistent. And you can make these moves like that. And that's basically the gist. I don't want to keep anybody any longer. Um, as we try out the stream yard, shout out to the people that have checked in to our first live. We definitely appreciate it. Um, Ryan, real quick, you check the comments. What do people say? We got anybody in the comments? Let me double check. You're supposed to be all over there. Damn. Yeah, we got um, Dedrin. The higher is trending on Twitter. It's trending number three. It was number four. Uh, he says the higher is racist and unforgivable. Uh, Dedrin Tonarusa is like having the money to get a 2019 65-inch uh, UHD TV purchase in a 1987 vintage, vintage Magnavox television. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chuck hit us with the higher feels like Jerry's trying to mend fences with Tony after all these years. I think Dusty Baker's still managing the Astros. A 71 man. It's not the same as Dusty Baker because Dusty Baker didn't do anything like this. Dusty Baker was talking about what was coming down on him. Uh, so again, I get it. I definitely appreciate you all for, uh, for chiming in on that, but yeah, we're going to bring y'all more of these lives moving forward. So definitely chime in and let us know, uh, your thoughts. Uh, and also you can sit there and still on, on, uh, YouTube and let us know what you think your comments. We're going to be interacting with the comments moving forward, but everybody, man, be safe out there. Um, and listen, I hope for us is taking this negative that at one point we can get past this. Um, I hate to say that because it seems like we always have to get past something. Well, That's at least great. you guys are a story, no matter what, next year. Yeah, fuck you. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ryan Bisky. And uh, definitely we'll be back uh, either with an interview or a flipping friends this weekend. So everybody out there, just stay safe. 
Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul love the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. That Davis show, lucky enough to be joined from the Athletic Chicago White Sox writer James Fegan. Follow him at JR Fegan. How are you doing, James? Good, and you? I'm doing all right. You know what? I'm doing better than I was feeling yesterday. I was <laughs> same. Yeah, I'm doing. And it's, it's so funny because like Cubs fans and people are reaching out to me like, what's going on over there? Why is it that no one's happy? And I'm, I'm trying to explain to them exactly how I feel and how some people feel. So, OK, so we all know that Tony Russo, Hall of Fame manager, was announced as a new White Sox manager yesterday. All right. And I find myself in discussions trying to tell people how I feel. And then I'd leave it alone because sometimes it feels like you're not trying to listen to how I felt. So you came in yesterday and asked a question uh, during the presser about the Colin Kaepernick situation, which I think a lot of us, especially people of color, kind of bothers us. And some people will kind of be like, get over it. But and you you kind of told me why you you asked that question. But initially, so let everybody else know, why was that your first question? If anyone, James was the, sec- the second or first person to, to talk to Tony and Rick Hahn. Well, yeah, like so like a normal Rick Hahn presser, like maybe during the middle of the season, especially because they kind of happen every couple of weeks. I'll have like a Google Doc that I have open um, that I'm just like making notes on stuff that I would talk to the next time I talk to the GM, stuff like that. So a, a normal presser that could get to 15, 20 items and maybe like half of them will get addressed. Maybe some of them will get asked by other people. Kind of knowing that this was going to be a bigger thing and uh, there'd be a lot of interest in, I had like five items on there. Like I really, and, and knowing how zoom conference conference calls have gone, it's really, it's not asking one question, a bunch of follow-ups or, or it's not, um, an opportunity where as long as you're just kind of in a conversation with the, you know, the guy at that point, you can kind of keep going for a little bit. It's really ask one question, get out. So I, I was really at the point of thinking, um, that at that point in time, I might get, there was like 65 people in the zoom call, which is, you know, normally during the season, maybe the playoffs, there was like 30 people in the zoom call. So I I thought there'd be, you know, and I wound up being, I asked two questions the entire time. And that was probably twice as many as most people got. (laughs) So I thought like what question I think there was, I talked to another reporter that we were both like on the same wavelength that that was something that needed to be brought up at some point. Um, I, my initial approach was let me kind of lay in wait. Uh, let me get the lay of how this is going to go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'll ask it when I get called up, but I got called up pretty early. I think that's a function of, you know, being on the beat and you get called first, even though I wasn't like the first person to raise my hand. Um, and I thought like, well, I'm, I would, re- I would really hate it. And it would be a disservice to our job if this was not something that was asked, um, before I left. So it being one of my, basically the only question I asked only Ruse the whole time, I, I felt it needed to be addressed. And, you know, we talk about it as something that bothers us. And I think that's very pertinent. And I think, you know, you know, the White Sox, the city of Chicago, it's, it's a, as much as it's privately owned franchise, it is somewhat of a civic institution in the city of Chicago. You know, the people, what reason why people root for a team is because they feel like it's representing them and their city and their populace. That's important. But just on a tactical basis of winning games, 
five, you know, they just declined uh, Edwin Encarnacion's option. So, you know, Edwin kneeled for the anthem for the start of the season, but now he, it's, uh, he's gone. But there are five players that Tony Larissa will manage uh, next season who kneeled for the anthem at the start of the season. So as being somebody who had been outspoken and saying it was disrespectful and the wrong way to protest, I wanted to know how are you going to build this relationship of trust and that show these guys you respect their voice and their um, decision to speak out and that you're not going to make them feel silenced or um, you know discouraged from expressing their opinion. Uh, how are you going to bridge that gap and, and build that relationship? And you know, it's not even just like it was just five players who did it. It was arguably the five best players on the team. Like not that it shouldn't matter. But <laughs> it'd be one thing if, like, you know, five loogies in the bullpen all sat right. down on knee, but that's not what happened. Like, uh, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, building trust with the core of this team without kind of tackling that. And, you know, I think Tony was very clearly um, prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And he definitely, I would say, I, I think the way I wrote it was that the answers were not perfect. Um, they were not like a total, you know, I, 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 you have to respect their experience and you have to, uh, you know, give deference to where they're coming from with the decision to protest and, you know, full sympathy and support of, you know, the causes that they're pushing against. It was more, this was a guy who had just doubled down on this position twice publicly and was kind of clearly trying to move towards a position of being more accepting of it, but wasn't there yet. And, I would say it's encouraging of an idea that he was not digging in his heels further and doubling down. And it was cognizant of the fact that there's a relationship he needs to start building. But I think for people who are like, why would you hire this guy who has this bridge he needs to build? It, it, it would not fully dismiss that concern. And also it, the way he answered in terms of he's gained a greater appreciation of it because he now sees that there's sincerity behind it and there's actual real, um, you know, activism behind it. Why, why is there a litmus test that, you know, he is able to put on that, you know, they have to clear for it to be respected. I, I, I think that'd be you know, a worthy question and, and, uh, you know, something he's still not necessarily succeeding in. Um, but at the same time, and I'm following up on it as we speak is that he said he spoke to the players Alliance um, he said, you know, Bruce Maxwell, you know, the first baseball player who, who kneeled for the anthem back in 2017, um, you know, spoke on Twitter and I've talked to his people and they said that, you know, Tony was very active in getting him, uh, back into, to baseball after baseball. he was, you know, effectively. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely people who are, who are out there who are speaking up and saying that, you know, Tony is, um, aware of systemic racism and he's not just purely trying to couch his lack of sympathy for it in that he objects to the way it was protested, which I think is probably what we rightly suspect whenever anybody kind of speaks out on it and says that the kneeling is wrong is really, they just don't want to hear about it. And there's no medium that they would really be happy about. I don't, I still don't agree with that position that, you know, if you really cared about these causes that you would get that hung up on the, on the medium, but you know, looking more into it and, and calling people these past couple of days, I, it does seem like he don't, wants to contribute to, to anti-racism that he does have some, uh, you know, instances where he showed some allyship in that regard. It's not perfect, but I think that he's on the path a little bit. 
It's just, do you want to turn over your ready-made contender franchise to somebody who's on the path, but not there? Especially when you have such a large African component on this team, and you see necessarily the guy. That David show, talking to James Fegan from the Athletic Chicago, follow him at J.R. Fegan. It was funny. I was watching MLB Now, and they were like, when, they, when the interview first started, and after the interview ended, or they cut for, away from it, they were like, wow, the reporters really went at them. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it was like they were just amazed. They were like, "Why? Why isn't everybody happy?" And it it, it kind of just speaks to two different Americas in a way because kind of what I opened with trying to talk to people and everyone, some people are telling me like, man, you got a great manager. And it's like, yeah, I get that part. And that's not taking in the fact that he's been away as far as being down in the dugout for an extended amount of time, but still, I, mean, I was AJ Hinch guy, but still it's the fact of what took place with the Colin Kaepernick thing. Uh, I want to ask you this, James, because one of the things that you mentioned and one of the things that Tony Russo pointed out was that one thing he enjoys now when he sees uh, the social justice movement by the these players is that the sincerity and their their action afterwards and it felt like a slap in the face because to me and you you brought the Maxwell situation which I didn't I didn't know about and I was just watching three three months ago uh, something on ESPN about how how he was out there really bad and how he finally got back in and how his manager or his agent really took care of him during that period of time so that's fantastic I'm happy Tony Russo has something to do with it but to hear him say that the sincerity and yet he had not, had not come out and uh, basically pivoted away from what he had said in 2016 until he got this job, to me speaks of a lack of sincerity because being sincere me usually means you do something when you're not supposed to do it. You know, like if, if I sit there and tell you, if I offend you, uh, James, and after I offend you, I'm like, yeah, James, I offend you. That's one thing. But even before, if I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing something, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Let me adjust this right away. I felt like that's being more sincere. So I had a really big issue with him being the judge, jury and executioner of sincerity. Like, I, I wonder, will he look at someone kneeling and just, I don't know if that's a sincere kneel right there, young man. Like, it's just... I'm angry. I was angry, to say the least. I was angry um, when he said that yesterday, and I'm happy that he is seemingly doing something. But to hear him talk about sincerity was felt like a slap in the face. Yeah, I exactly. Like who? Who? Why is he in charge of this? Why is? Uh, why do they have to meet his uh, his rubric for this? And you know, this is cynical, but I, I feel like it's not going to be an issue because. Tim Anderson hits 330. Right. Right. <laughs> he, he's not going to question a thing Tim Anderson does because Tim Anderson is like that guy on the team now. Like the question is how he would handle it back in 2017 when this was first popping off and, you know, Maxwell has put himself on the limb. Bruce Maxwell was a backup catcher who was kind of up and down from AAA. Bruce Maxwell was really putting his career on the line and sure enough, it did not go well for him. It's about, mm-hmm whether or not it's not about whether or not you can, uh, you know, bring yourself to this level of, I respect the sincerity of this guy who's a uh, all-star caliber player on my team. And I'm not going to mess this thing up. It's whether or not you're fostering an environment where guys who don't have this, you know, built in level of, you know, standing as a leader of the team, uh, you know, feel like they have to kind of walk on eggshells. And if you're, are you're, if you're establishing this idea that, you know, the guy who's your direct supervisor, not only is, you know, in charge of you going up or down necessarily, but also can be the arbiter of whether or not your protest is legit or whether or not the, uh, you know, difficulties or the racism you're facing in everyday life that you want to give a voice to. 
um, is worthy of being publicly spoken. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, the term gets used a lot, but that's problematic. <laughs> definitely, definitely. That David Show here with James speaking. James, let me ask you this. And speaking of the players, but I want to go to management, particularly Jerry. Do you, do you think at all that Jerry factored in the Afro component of this team when hiring uh, Tony LaRusso, or it, it, it didn't really matter? He was going to do what he wanted to do. Um, I would think that maybe I would imagine he's aware of it, but I would imagine that, you know, he's probably heard the same anecdotes that I'm diving into now of, you know, times that Tony Rusa has had great relationships with, uh, black players or Tony Rusa has, you know, on certain anecdotes gone, um, you know, and, and put himself on the line to try to advocate for players who are facing, you know, racial you know being blackballed like bruce maxwell i'm I'm sure there's a lot of these standalone uh you know anecdotes of him you know acting equitably that he would say like well this guy um you know he probably put it maybe the way that tony put it was like he doesn't have a racist bone in his body which you know sure great but i always feel like a lot you know misses the point a little bit it's not about whether or not you are an active avowed intentional racist it's about whether or not you have blind spots or you have you know not complete uh, cultural sensitivity or awareness where you're not you're missing things or you're making people feel like they can't air things. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole level of uh, gaps in management and also just interacting and understanding and showing empathy to people that uh, exist between being yes, a racist and not a racist that there's, there's still a, uh, you know, the count for. So I, I'm glad he's not a, you know, avowed racist. Like, that's great, but the standards, the standards are always going to be a little bit, uh, you know, yeah, definitely higher. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's not 1960 anymore. We can't, we're not just, we're looking, we're calling for more for, for allies at that point. And I think he's aware of that, but also I, I, I would say the, the judgment is that he's getting there. Not that he's someone he's who there. I don't think he has immediately on day one, the level of cultural awareness that Rick Renneria had, uh, you know, on his last day uh, in this job. So I, I think that's a, a gap they'll be filling over time. And, you know, that that's something to work through over the course of a season where you're expecting big things. It's, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, I never stick the dog on a black person or a, a fire hose on anyone. Like, oh, well, you are a good guy if you didn't do that. Uh, look, I want to speak to and then kind of get out of the negativity of it to a certain degree. But the tone deafness, and I'll put this on Jerry, and I mean, on Kenny and, and on Rick, but the tone deafness of uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, because who would have thought the entire city for the most part, like you really don't hear a lot of positivity coming out of this. And this is for, this is from a guy that I think Sox fans, if it in the nineties, we would have, we wanted him back. Like this was like, I think how I'm not that old to the point where I remember Tony La Russa coaching the White Sox. All right. But when I found out that he was a White Sox manager, I was like, wow, we, we got rid of Tony La Russa. Uh, but, but when you see it now and, and that the whole city is basically like, nah, get out of here, son. Uh, what, what do you think about the tone deficit it says about Jerry Reinsoff and the fact that I, I won't say this was a marketing blunder because really it's going to depend on wins and losses, but still it, it definitely didn't come off right. Yeah. I think it's, it's not the age uh, you know, per se, when you talk about bringing back in the nineties, I think you could have, you know, after 2011, you let go of Ozzy Gee and you hired Robin Ventura. If they had hired Tony La Russa, uh, retired in 2011, right after winning a world series, if they had hired Tony La Russa in 2011 or that. 2012, you'd be like, all right, we just, they just hired a, a world series, uh, 
you know, winning manager. Uh, he clearly can still do it. We just saw him do it. And I, yeah, he's 76. Yeah. He's the oldest manager in the league. And, and yeah, this is just seems like it's somebody who's been, you know, Jerry's friend and all like that. And I, I think, you know, even Rick Hahn, when he, in the press conference where they fired Rick Renner, had talked about how, you know, the perception that the White Sox have been too insular and too much of just kind of bringing in their own people and, and uh, you know, people they have close ties to and not searching the league for the best candidate, how that's a, you know, a good criticism that he agreed with and wanted to, you know, basically push against. And so, yeah, I, I would say that this probably speak to Jerry Reins of not really caring about that criticism too much. He's not really caring about the public perception of it too much. Um, but I would say it's not the age necessarily because I don't think, you know, we just watched 71 year old Dusty Baker get with a game within going to the world series, you know, Joe Madden is 66 and, you know, people don't really slam on him too much uh, at this point, at least because he came in through very, uh, you know, analytically minded organizations for being age uh, for, for being uh, aware of it. It's not so much that he's old. It's that it's the gap to me. It's that this is not someone who's been necessarily uh, connected with the way that the, the game has changed since 2011. And, and really it's changed a lot. You watch it change very rapidly year to year uh, that, you know, things that we probably, we watched the game for 2011 and how they manage bullpens and how they manage starters. Yeah. Tony Russo was at the forefront of, uh, you know, bullpenning and, a lot of modern strategies at the time, but things have changed really dramatically since. And if we watch the you know game from that world series, so their claim would be that as much as we didn't see it, he's been very active in these kind of front office advisory roles that we probably thought as being cushy jobs where he's not really tied in. And really he's more ready to jump back into the way baseball is right now. Um, than we realize, but yeah, from a marketing standpoint, it doesn't, it's, it's, there's not a connection at all that, that, that kind of hall of fame resume that he has a very impressive three world series, uh, championships. It does not convey as something that's immediately relevant to this time because we have not seen him involved in baseball these nine years. We haven't seen him kind of continue to evolve alongside the game, the way we've seen somebody like Dusty Baker or Joe Madden, uh, clearly like deal with the the year to year evolutions of the sport and, and stay in stride. So it's a, it's a big question mark that people have. And that's the reason why people are not thrilled instantly announcing it. It's something he has to come in and disprove day one, not just the fans, but to a lot of players in that clubhouse. Now, David show right here. We have James Fegan from the athletic, follow him at J.R. Fegan discussing the Tony Russo hire by the White Sox. Um, listen, you brought up Insler and you asked a good question to Rick Hahn yesterday. Um, how did you feel when he said necessarily that he didn't look at Tony as being an insular hire because that had been such a gap from when he was the, the White Sox manager to him coming back now? It seemed like a kind of a technicality type of explanation. And I, I get it. And I, I think it he makes a point that they're not, they weren't promoting from within the way they did with, uh, you know, Rick Renneria. And it wasn't just, a, you know, or, or Frank Menachino, the hitting coach last year, that it wasn't just kind of, uh, you know, kind of shuffling the cards that are already present. It was bringing in someone who was technically from outside and other organizations. I think, yeah, I get it. It's, it's, it's technically right. It's technically true. I can't say that's wrong. Um, I think what people wanted from this and what I, you know, what was the other part of that question as far as, they talked about this as an opportunity that they were going to interview candidates from across the league. And by doing so, not only were they going to get the best candidate um, across the league and make a good hire, but they would learn something through that process about what other organizations do. What are the, 
you know, what's the tactical level that other organizations that are winning consistently are bringing. And that was going to be something that was going to be ferreted out from doing so many interviews. And, you know, from all indications, that's not something they really got the opportunity to do because once it was clear that there was mutual interest between, you know, ownership and Tony Arusa, at that point, the process becomes a little streamlined and how many interviews are you going to drag out with everybody when you kind of know uh, what ownership is going towards. And he said they didn't want to lead people on. So that makes it sound like that opportunity to learn stuff kind of went a little bit by the boards. So I think that's, that's disappointing. I think people should be discouraged a little bit by that. I think very much they have a strong roster core where they can come in and, and, and Tony could show us all a little thing about how much he's been paying attention over the last nine years and they could win. But that still doesn't mean that that opportunity that they had to really maybe learn stuff from the rest of the league in a way that you don't get to because you don't get to call up a rival GMs and say like, Hey, uh, you know, what's your you know pitching development strategy the way you do in interviews when you're offering somebody a job, it's it, that opportunity went by the boards and they can't really get that back. James, what are some of the pros as far as on the field that you've heard about this hire? Like what are some of the things around the league people are saying to some of the negatives that you're hearing? This is a smart guy. Like this is a guy who is, he won three uh, World Series for a reason. This is somebody who was always technically very progressive. This was somebody who was always very pro-information during his time. This was always somebody who was on the cutting edge. I wrote a story like last month uh, about 40 years. Uh, it was about uh, basically early 80s, 1983 White Sox is like near the end of it, was that uh, they had this researcher come out and he was, did basically the first biomechanical analysis ever done it was like you know this very old school setup of trying to do it now they do it with very digital cameras and trackman and stack and all that but he was trying to get biomechanical data about pitching and that was when tony arusa and dave duncan were basically in charge of the white Sox, and they were all about it and they were ahead of the game and they were all about trying to incorporate it into how they manage and that's always been them they've always been trying to get the most modern data uh and, and involved in their analysis these are forward-thinking guys and they always have been so it's not like he's going to come in and just be rejecting of, of everything because he just had one moment in time where he understood the game and he never moved up beyond it. He's always been a progressive dude. At the same time, he's going to have to catch up. And, you know, you know, for the longest time, and the reason the White Sox won a one World Series and why they had a lot of great pitching, uh, you know, over the last, you know, up until maybe the rebuild, uh, was Don Cooper was ahead of the game. Uh, he was very forward-thinking dude about biomechanics. But it's hard to be ahead of the game for your whole career. That's not usually how it goes. Usually you're ahead of the game for a little bit, you're with the game for a little bit, and then you get behind, and then you get fired or you retire, and that's yeah. the end of your career. That's how normally things go. It's hard to basically outpace the world for your whole life. So I think that's that would be a major challenge for him to kind of um, catch up. And I feel like maybe one of the downsides – of the last four or five years of the White Sox was that they were trying to catch up in a lot of respects. I mean, Chris Getz, I think has done a great job as player development director and, you know, their minor leagues. But when Chris Getz came in and I want to say right before the 2017 season, basically what they were doing was doing a lot of trying to catch up to what play uh, teams like the Rays and Astros were doing for player development or the Dodgers. So that's not the position you want to be in is trying to catch up. You want to be with guys who are uh, at, at the forefront. I think Tony would argue that he's been, you know, in step uh, while he's been uh, involved in front offices with a couple different teams. He won a ring with uh, Boston, but, uh, you know, that, that's an unanswered question, whether or not you're getting somebody who is going to spend a lot of his first or, you know, one or two years or how long, however long his uh, tenure winds up being, kind of getting into stride with what's going on in baseball. Um, he could prove us wrong. 
I'm ready, willing, and waiting to, to be proven wrong. But I, I think that's a question that everyone that's valid for people coming in uh, to see where he's at with that. James Fegan on here talking about the White Sox. Look, let me ask you this. What happens if there is a Kevin Cash situation and the front office basically tells uh, Tony they want this rotation, this guy in the lineup, and Tony gets goes across it? Of course it can happen once, but consistently. And it's, it's funny because I always think about Jerry Jones with the Cowboys and how it, it, in some situations he's, he's the, the end-all, be-all. The coach kind of doesn't matter because you can circumvent the coach and go to Jerry. And it's the same with this Jerry now. Uh like what? What? What do you think Rick Hahn is going to do in this situation, especially since his name is much ballyhooed now in the MLB? You know, I, the perception, or at least the the understanding I had, is that among the league, the White Sox front office, in terms of in-game strategy and in-game tactics, they were always a bit more hands-off with the manager. Uh, at least during you know, I've covered them since 2017 full time. Um, I probably can't really speak to how they manage Robin Ventura, <laughs> but uh, they were always a bit more, you know, we talk about things. We have meetings post game about why he did what, you know, we talk about what's the best position to put certain players in and whatnot. You know, there's a lot of front office managerial communication, but as far as what he's going to do and his ability to adjust mid game, we're going to give him the leeway. We hired him for his baseball instincts. We're going to, uh, you know, allow him the latitude to use that. Uh, you know, as Tony put it yesterday, the observational analytics, they, they let that, they're going to let that run there. And I think when you bring in a Tony Larusa, you know, frankly, as a strong personality, I, I don't know how much you have a choice to really rein him in, but I imagine it's not a big transition away from what they're already doing to kind of let him run. Now, whether or not how the debates will go about the best use of guy, I, I don't know what, you know, Larusa will make of LOA Menace's defense and left because they're very much, that was a message of the front offices that we're committed to this, you know, hell or high water. And we're going to see high water a lot. Um, I, I don't know how that kind of thing is going to go or, or how much they're going to be committed to a certain guy. The front office says, we believe he's a starter. He's going to get chances of rotation, live with it. You know, that's obviously their approach with Dylan Cease that they kind of weathered his control problems this year. We remains to be seen how that will go um, in, in terms of dealing that with management. But this is not like the Rays just hired Tony Russo and they're used to giving their manager a script uh, about how a certain pitcher is going to be used and how long he's going to go. And Tony Russo is going to throw the notes out the window. I don't, I don't think it's not that type of like fish out of water situation. I think they should be able to, they're an organization already prepared to kind of give their manager control of the game. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, definitely a stronger personality and, and someone who's can say like, you know, I know how to run a game. I know how to win a world series a bit more than maybe their last manager in terms of the relationship they have. But I, I don't see it as a huge issue necessarily. Good. Good. Real, really good. Look, so have you heard anything about how they're going to fill out his staff? Is there any inkling about anybody in, inside of the, the farm system that they may bring up to add to the staff or perhaps who the pitching coach may be? I, I know we know it's not going to be Duncan. Uh, thank goodness. We're not going that far back, but have you heard anything? Uh, just not super specific, just that, um, it might be more internal, uh, than, you know, it might be, it would have been maybe if they had hired Hinch or, you know, hired someone from an organization and we're trying to be all about how that organization, other organization did things. It, it, it seems like with this manager, you can, and I can certainly understand the inclination of let's keep around some elements, 
uh, of guys who have, you know, helped this good clubhouse atmosphere we already have. Um, you know, Joe McEwing would played under Larusa. They would have a good relationship. I would, I would think that's not necessarily that, you know, Larusa's first thing is get rid of Joe McEwing. I, I can't imagine anyone feeling that way towards Joe McEwing. He's a very nice guy, but I, 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 w- I could see him sticking around very easily. You know, Nick Capra has been basically a White Sox lifer for, for decades. And it was someone that he was brought onto the major league staff because he had been the PD guy previously and had this relationship with all the prospects they're bringing up. So that's something that could, you know, could stick around. Um, Daryl Boston has a similarly, similarly long standing, uh, with the organization, obviously, uh, you know, the hitting was very successful last year. So I don't know if you necessarily would break up with Menachino and, uh, cool ball. Tony La Russa himself specifically name drops Kurt Hasler and saying, we're pretty good there with our bullpen coach. So maybe we only need to fill one role pitching wise. So that seems like a pretty good sign for him. Um, they have strong internal candidates for pitching, uh, coach. I spent the last four years hearing, you know, Matt Zaleski, our minor league, one of their minor league pitching coaches, who's going to be triple A this year. If they, you know, if there had been a triple A season, Matt Zaleski is, you know, absolutely critical in Jonathan Seaver becoming a prospect and Jimmy Lambert becoming a prospect. Uh, Dylan Cease's breakout year happened under him. Everett Tiford, their pitching coordinator, countless, uh, countless pitching prospects that told me Tief so showed me this on the data if I throw my four seam up here, if I throw a curveball here, it works out better. Now I'm throwing that. And now I'm striking everybody out. They have so many development success stories over to, under those two guys where I would say either one of them, if they added them, you should be encouraged by that guy being the pitching coach because that guy has had a ton of success already with the players they'd be inheriting who would be part of that pitching staff. So they definitely could do that very easily. And given the fact that everyone's expecting budgets to be kind of uh, you know tight and you've already now just hired a Hall of Fame manager, yeah, I think they have, they have very viable routes that they kind of stick internal. Um, but yeah, it remains to be seen. There wasn't a super firm commitment and there, you know, there's time yet to kind of search that out, especially with not many, you know, coaching staff openings across baseball, uh, really. So they, they could search a little bit if they wanted to, but I would, I would suspect internal is where they'll lean. James, real quick on the side note, you brought up Coop being ahead of the game at one point, then the game catching him and passing him by. When it comes to someone, especially just to say as great as Cooper was, Don Cooper, is he in charge totally as far as how they take care of the minor league pitchers or he just adds in his input to it? I always really wanted to know that question, especially I would say over the last three or four years. You know, when I was covering Cooper, I would say that we spent a lot of time talking about how he was really, you know, making an effort to incorporate the advanced data into his uh, his work. You know, I had a conversation with Lucas Giolito near the end of last year. He was talking about like, you know, everything's kind of night and day with our major league prep from 2018 and 2019. How there's so much, you know, high speed video they're looking at that season that I had not looked at the season before. How so much like. You know, you saw uh, Kurt Hassler dragging out the rap Soto to every bullpen side session uh, so they could track it and log it uh, starting in 2019. So there's a lot of efforts to kind of incorporate it. But I would say from what I largely saw, it was no longer a situation where it was top down or running, but it was more like, you know, Coop developed a rapport. He was talking with every pitching prospect. He was getting a sense of what they're working on, but it was very much a lot of, um, you know, Tiford and Zaleski leading uh, what they're doing and, and leading some of the data-minded changes that were in their arsenal that was leading to a lot of these guys breaking out. So it wasn't it wasn't like he Coop was walled off at any point, but it wasn't like you know Coop had a list of every pitch in the organization and said they should do it and then gave instructions to everybody either. It was no longer that kind of top-down approach. 
Okay, because I, I definitely had that question for a long time. I appreciate you answering it. Look, I read an article of yours maybe two to three weeks ago, and it was about A.J. Hinch. And I was an A.J. Hinch, Hinch guy, but it was good to see you go at the fact that don't take the cheating lightly. I, I did like to read that. So where were you at if A.J. Hinch would have been hired by the White Sox? But also, did the White Sox do themselves a disservice by not keeping him away from the Tigers since we all knew Tony wasn't going to end up with the Tigers if he didn't get the White Sox job? I mean, well, how do you keep him away from the Tigers other than by hiring him, I guess? Hire him. <laughs> Bring him in, James. I thought, you know, fundamentally, A.J. Hinch has a lot of strengths as a manager. I don't think it's just like he was a bad manager, but they cheated, so they won the World Series. Uh, he, he's always he's someone who's worked in the front office and managed. He has a lot of uh, ability to kind of um, communicate ideas from the front office to the players. Um, he is very data conscious is very, um, you know, kind of steady in his leadership and all that. But I didn't think, I didn't think it was purely an issue of, and I thought he'd be a good hire. I would probably write about how, you know, it's, you know, an upgrade and, you know, someone with playoff experience. Um, but I didn't think that it should be literally, you, you should view the cheating as, well, if you can just get over your kind of ethical concerns, this is a great manager. And they're, you know, it, it's just about you being kind of squeamish uh, the, about the way baseball is conducted in, in 2020. I didn't think it was that. This is a mark on his resume, not merely because of ethical concerns. And maybe ethical concerns is why he wasn't actually, you know, interviewed uh, yeah. that Ryan Zorf had. But it's an it's demerit on his ability to lead a team. Because if you believe this narrative that he's merely didn't stop the cheating, that he was not the architect. The, what you're buying into is a narrative where this horribly unethical thing is going on. And the guy who's literally in charge is powerless to stop it. So what is that saying about his ability to lead to lead a clubhouse? And what is that saying about, you know, the respect that he has from his players? If basically they can just cheat at an unprecedented level. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, ugh, if only there was something I could do me, the guy in charge. I thought that was something that, you know, it's you'd seriously need to answer for and, uh, you know, show that he had improved upon going forward. So I didn't think it was totally just like a slam dunk uh, with no reservations. I, I still think that, you know, people would be right to be encouraged if he was ha- as a manager. I think the Tigers probably had a pretty good manager. Uh, count me as extremely bearish on the level of talent the Tigers had. Right. Um, I don't think they're going to win the World Series and make the playoffs next year, even though they have a good manager. You know, A.J. Hinch is not going to hit uh, in the middle of that lineup. But yeah, I, I disservice is probably, I would say it, it's not like they had to hire AJ Hinch. And if they had, unless they did that, the managing search is a failure. The managing search is deserving criticism because they've made an extremely out of the box hire who has to answer a lot of questions to show that he's still qualified for this position. I think if they had hired like, you know, they had hired like the, the bench coach from the Tampa Bay Rays, Matt Quattrall or something like that. And they had said, we interviewed everybody and this guy is great. And he's a great candidate. He's forward thinking he's going to connect with our clubhouse. I wouldn't be writing like, man, these guys sure screwed up. They didn't hire AJ Hinch. I would think like, man, that seems like they had a really thorough process and they hired their best guy. Um, I think it's hard to know from a public standpoint, who really the best managing the coaching standpoints are so much of their work comes from behind closed doors. And we get very locked in on a certain number of names that we know have had success. 
And you know, maybe that's why you know someone like Tony Roos is getting hired, just because like once you see someone win a World Series, you assume that there's this unique special quality that cannot be replicated to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I think more of I, you probably want to see a really good and really thorough process here, and that's where the disappointment comes from, more or less than a did they hire AJ Hinch? A yes or no, and you know, that's the only way they could have had a successful uh, you know uh, manager hiring spree. I know it's not an apples to apples comparison, but could we use the same logic on Tony LaRusso with the Bash Brothers? Um, yeah, it's hard I, I to keep a so. needle out of somebody's backside. I know he can't just jump in between that, but still, he was in charge of that, and he basically said he didn't know anything about it for the most part. Right, I would say I'm probably less learned on that. Uh, the specifics on that, but yeah, I, I would say it's a question mark. It's not a perfectly clean resume by any means. Uh, I would also say that I talked to players in the White Sox clubhouse in February who had all these arguments about how what the Astros did was worse than that, how they mm-hmm. would, you know, had a ton of pitchers who said, I'd rather, you know, face, give, give me the most roided out dude in the world and put him in the box against me. If he doesn't know what's coming, I'd be in a right. better situation than some guy who knows every pitch and about the throw. So I, I, I think there's a reason to hold that, that, that scandal in a, a little bit higher regard. But yeah, I, I think it's a valid point. Listen, uh, Bruce Bochy was broken out that he was a second second option from Bob Nightingale. Uh, would you prefer Bruce Bochy or was, was Tony LaRusso decent enough, even though I'm sure you would have went Bruce Bochy, but I have to ask you the question. Uh, I would say I would, I think people would have responded more positively to that. And, and part of it is um, that would seem like one, you would not have necessarily the, the feeling of cronyism that, you know, this is somebody who was just tight with ownership and that's why he got hired. And while I would say Bruce Bochy kind of resigned or retired from the Giants because it was more graceful exit the, because he was maybe not necessarily, you know, uh, kismet with the new Giants front office, which is very forward thinking with Farhan uh, Zahidi. And maybe that should tell you a little something, but <laughs> it's a shorter gap from him being in baseball and having success in baseball than, you know, have with LaRusa. So the biggest question we have is, you know, this is somebody who's obviously had a success. This is someone who really knows the game. This is someone who's been a great tactician in the past. Is it still applicable now? Nine years later, you're talking about somebody with a, you know, less of a, a, a cliff that he has to kind of navigate to show that he's still on top of his game. So yeah, it would have been a little bit better. It'd been, you know, kind of a similar hire, but it, it would take a, a, a smaller leap of faith. All right, a few more questions. I'm going to let you out of here. I know you got something to do. Uh, James speaking here with that David show. Look, you always do this fabulous article, this super, super deep dive on everybody in the Sox system. Like, if you're a real Sox guy, you love it. Like, I love to take my time and read through it. How are you going to execute that during the pandemic and with no minor league season so far? It's hard. I mean, I feel pretty disconnected from, um, you know, the system. And, I, you know, some of the guys – in the system, you know, White Sox personnel, I haven't seen them play all, all year. Uh, you know, I, I, I do have a plans to get Chris Getz on the phone uh, a week or two about instructional league. Cause they've gotten at least a month of action of some guys on the field that, you know, really have just been participating in zoom calls and stuff like that uh, of, of recent, but um, yeah, it, it's definitely been hard. It's, it's also like maybe when, you know, the team is losing a hundred games in 2018, everybody wants to know what's going on in, in low A and high A. And so it's a little bit of switch in emphasis. Now that Luis Robert is here in Chicago, there's not as many Luis Robert tall tales to talk about in Birmingham as there were. 
I remember like, uh, you know, in 2019, there was like some stretch, um, where the White Sox won like five games in a row where they overtook like Cleveland, uh, for second place for a hot minute. And they were like 500. And I was down in Birmingham watching Luis Robert. And I had a bunch of messages from fans were like, what are you doing up here? Like now, why aren't you in Chicago writing about this is the best baseball the White Sox have played in a week or years. Uh, this is the best week of baseball they played in years. And why are you down here in Birmingham? I was like, dang, this has been, <laughs> this has been all I've been doing the last three years is, you know, covering prospects telling me no one cares about Dane Dunning anymore. Man. <laughs> so there, there was a sense in 2019 that, you know, maybe this incredibly deep dive every year and trying to cover every prospect that that lifetime was a little bit coming to, to an end. Okay. So I don't know if we're going to go quite as deep as we have in years past, but yeah, I'm going to try to continue to keep track on that. I, I've definitely heard a lot about instructional league. Um, Matt Thompson, the second round pick, uh, basically the, that last year's draft 2019, the two high schoolers, uh, Matt Thompson, Andrew Dalquist, that uh, they kind of went over slot on hearing really good things about both of them. Really mm. a lot of confidence of those guys. They really bet what I like that they did was that there was, it was a bad year for college pitching that draft. You know, the, the White Sox have been very in love with college starters, Carlos Redone, uh, Carson Fulmer, uh, Chris sale guys who were kind of wacky and, mm. you know, wasn't sure if their command was going to really hold up and, you know, two out of three right. turned out that didn't really work, but they had these elite college numbers that really gave you confidence that like, all right, we, we can make it work. We can, we can shape them up. And so without that kind of temptation, they said like, let's just look for guys, you know, obviously they're going to be high school. They're going to be far away. They're, they're not going to be like, you know, somebody who rushed through the minor league system in a year. Let's get some premium athletes, somebody who can repeat their delivery, who has uh, the ability to kind of, um, you know, project some velocity on their frame. And we'll, we'll be, we have a development system that we're confident we can bring them along. And so that's the investment they made with those two guys. And, you know, they made with, you know, Jared Kelly as well this year, though that's a very much a different kind of frame. Uh, you know, I don't have as much confidence there, uh, but it, it seems like things have gone really well in that direction in terms of, of those two guys. So those would be names I would remember uh, if you're hunting prospects as Matt Thompson and Andrew Dalkos, because I heard a couple really solid reports on them uh, from Instructional League this month. Listen, now that Tony has a job, you would think even with the pandemic that Jerry's not going to let his boy uh, fail. He's going to give him everything he needs to succeed. So I would think now that we're going to add a little cash to this. And what guys do you think they should go out there? Are we Stroman guys because Trevor Bauer is just too far gone? Like what what are the guys real quick that you think they need to uh, try to bring in to fill out this roster? I mean, who I think they need, I think if – I think who, priority, who do you think they'll go get? I guess is the question. I should yeah, because I think like priority number one of the bullet um, is right field. Like I can talk myself into a lot of guys and they're starting pitching death and saying this guy's going to mature and be good. Like obviously, you know, we watched the playoff series and they needed a number three starter. Like you know, nobody's business. But you know, Kopech's coming back. Um, you know, Dane Dunning's going to get better. Um, you can if you talk yourself into it or say a new pitching coach is going to have success with Cease. Obviously, there's talent there. Um, you know, Ronaldo Lopez is still in the organization. You know, he, if you maybe maybe he wasn't really fully healthy all this year, and you can get him back to a better level. You got Jonathan Steer, Jimmy Lambert coming up. There's options there. There's really no one in right field who I say is going to come up and grab this job. Uh, so I would say that you need to at least call George Springer's agent and figure out what the cost is there. That's the top guy in the market. Um, you know, there were no one banging trash cans this year and he you know, still hit <laughs> extremely well. 
Uh, I would say off of previous, you know, their preferences, Jock Peterson is somebody who has always hit right-handers and is coming off a down year, so he'll be even more inexpensive and, you know, showed well in the playoffs. You'd have confidence the talent is still there. You could take him. You could platoon him with Adam Engel, and that would be kind of an inexpensive solution to that problem. I think people rightly uh, want Michael Brantley. Um, the White Sox have always uh, liked Brantley. Um, it wouldn't be perfect to stick him in right. He's really more of a left fielder. It's a below average throwing arm. He's getting older. Um, you know, Luis Robert would really be running uh, all season long, but I can certainly see it. The, the offense is, you know, very stable. He's the guy who makes contact and then hits for a little pop. It's not just like a one-dimensional thing. So I understand why people would be interested there. I would say if they're going to add the rotation, you mentioned Stroman and Bauer. Yeah, that's the level they need to shop for. They don't need another back-end starter. They don't need a number four or five guy. They need another guy that they feel confident with, you know, handing uh, a major start in the playoffs so that they're not running out the, you know, the crazy bullpen game in game three again. Whether or not they have the reserves there, whether or not their budget is going to be in the place when they don't know if they're going to have fans next season, it's really hard to say. Um, I think they're still waiting kind of for answers themselves to really know how much they can spend, but yeah, I, I think they should be aggressive if they really feel this is their year and they're hiring Russo for it. That you know, Stroman or, or Bauer would be the uh, the type of guy that they, they should be hunting for. That's really the only person on that tier where you can hand that guy a playoff start and say, you know, we're not going to need to you know throw seven innings from the bullpen once this thing, you know turns into a disaster or something like that. So, I, there are little things they can add along with it in terms of uh, relief help um, or you know. I think they're more or less just going to plug in Andrew Vaughn as far as first base DH. But I, I think to really meaningfully improve this team in a way that's, that's really useful. Um, it's just really get a top tier right fielder starting pitcher. Hmm. Listen, I'm getting you out of here. So what do you got coming out in the athletic and with the podcast? Um, trying to just dig more into La Russa and what kind of guy he is. I think there's a lot of uh, different accounts about, um, whether or not he's somebody who really has the, the, the sensibility and mentality to, to, you know, perform this role well and, and lead people well. So I, I'm, I've got some calls out that uh, I think are going to turn into something uh, over this weekend about, you know, the way he's dealt with, uh, you know, racial issues in the past that I think should turn up something, you know, um, failing that I have a, uh, I have a, it was something I worked on back when sports were shut down and I basically didn't write it all, all season, but, I talked to Mike Cameron and Paul Canerco about getting traded for each other uh, back in 22 years ago. Oh. It was a really, uh, there, there's some fun Mike Cameron quotes uh, about it. Mostly that, that game that he hit four home runs against the White Sox. If you, <laughs> if you had any doubt that there was special motivation about trying to prove something to the White Sox that night, uh, he, he will remove those doubts from you. I look forward to that one. I, that's a good one. I look forward to that one. James, always appreciate it. Please keep up the good work. Follow him at J.R. Fegan and also subscribe to The Athletic Chicago. James, keep it going, bro. All right. Thanks for having me. No doubt.